Good morning. We have a very different message this morning. I know that usually New Year's is about some challenge to think about for the coming year or whatever. You be challenged in your own mind as to what you're going to do. But we thought that this would be a good time uh, in our study of the book of Revelation to think ahead um, of what is coming. There is actually a natural pause in our study at this point anyway, and the Lord changes in the book of Revelation the way he is uh, um, describing events. So we've had the judgments, the seven um, seal judgments, we've had the seven trumpet judgments, almost all of them. Uh, and then there's all of a sudden a, a stop in the narrative and a change in uh, what's taking place in the book of Revelation. And now the Lord concentrates on key characters in the book of Revelation. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, there's a lot of different ways we could study the book, but um, uh, this past the past, over the past two weeks, I have been looking at every single character in the book of Revelation and all of the verses connected with those characters. And um, the book is filled with characters. And in fact, it surprised me how many characters there are. And we're going to introduce you to some of them this morning. Um, as we look at these prominent characters... Um, today. I'm only going to take up nine of them. You can go ahead and put the uh, first slide on, Luke. Um, some of the key characters that we're going to look at today uh, include beasts, witnesses, Babylon, a child, angels, a king, a woman in scarlet, you know, and so on. Um, Luke, are you able to put that screen on as well for me? Thanks. Uh, I have prepared a 30-page document, which I was going to hand out, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm not going to cover every single character, or else we would be here until next New Year's, probably. So what I am going to do, it's not quite finished. I plan to upload it to the Calvary website and also to IWillTrustInTheLord.com um, or CalvaryBibleChapel.org. And you can download it for your own study, and this will also be helpful, I think, to the future preachers as they come to these key characters. So today, it's really like we're all grouped together, all these characters are here, and I'm simply giving you an introduction to who they are, and then over the next few months, uh, we're going to look at each one in depth. So the first one we want to look at, let's see if I can do this at the same time. Oh, there we go. A mighty angel. So if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to refer to various scriptures. Feel free to look them up as you go. Um, let me look at this one first. So uh, chapter 10, uh, all of chapter 10 and the first three verses of chapter 11 deal with this mighty angel. It would surprise you to know that there are hundreds of thousands of angels mentioned in the Scripture. But specifically, there in the book of Revelation, there are over 50 specific angels that are mentioned uh, in, in, in various roles in the book of Revelation. So this one here is called a mighty angel. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, I'm going to stop there. There's lots more that is said about him, but I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Who is this mighty angel? And if you go to commentaries, you will find quite an array of answers. And so I'm going to give you my answer, which um, some would agree with me is the right answer. <laughs> 
the mighty angel. Who is this mighty angel? So I believe that this mighty angel, some say that they think it's the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And my answer to that is I believe this is actually a mighty angel. And that's all he is, a mighty angel. When I say all he is, he's a mighty angel. But let's talk about why I think that. Uh, So first of all, in that passage we read, he is called another mighty angel. And he, this word another means, in the original language, another of the same kind. Not another of a different kind, another of the same kind. In the context, we're actually looking at the angels uh, of judgment. And so this is an angel similar to them, but different. He's, you know, obviously an individual. He's like one of the seven angels that came before him. The other mighty angels were, in fact, angels. If he is another of the same kind, then he is also an angel. And some would argue and say, well, wait a minute. The Lord Jesus in the Old Testament appeared uh, as an angel. They're called theophanies, if you want the technical term. Jesus Christ appeared to certain individuals in a pre-incarnate way. He came before his birth and appeared like an angel. And it was clear in the context that it could be none none other than the Lord Jesus. Couldn't this be a theophany, people ask? Well, I agree there were pre-incarnate theophanies in the Old Testament, but you will not find theophanies in the New Testament. And so I don't think you're going to find this as being the exception to the rule in the book of Revelation. Third argument is that Jesus is never called a mighty angel, not even through the whole book of Revelation. In the document that I've prepared, there are, um, I think, roughly 50 titles of the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in the book of Revelation. And nowhere is he mentioned as an angel or a mighty angel. Uh, He's always given titles, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb, you know, and, and so on. All of these thing, names are given to him, but not uh, an angel. A more telling argument is the fourth argument, which is found in <clears throat> this same passage, Revelation 10, 5, and 6. The angel made an oath. Jesus would not make an oath to another, another person but he would swear by himself, the scripture says. So in Revelation 10, 5, it says this, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be, no, should be delay no longer. Jesus would not swear by another. Hebrews chapter 13, or 6 verse 13, tells us, uh, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And I think that argument uh, settles the argument of who this is. It's, it's a mighty angel. But there's another argument, and I think this is just as substantial an argument. Um, the final argument I have is this. It says the mighty angel came down from heaven and he put his foot on the sea and his other foot on the land. This is not the second coming of Christ. That is not how the second coming of Christ happens. And this this is not a second coming of Christ and now we're waiting for a third coming of Christ. So his coming... Uh, down from heaven to the earth does not fit any other prophecy concerning his second coming. And this would make it, if it's, if it's Christ, it would make it his second coming to earth before his real second coming. Talk about confusion. So the scripture plainly speaks to us of how Jesus will come again to the earth. This does not fit those descriptions. For these reasons, we believe the mighty angel is in fact a mighty angel. Okay, we'll get, Matt, I think you have this 
topic next week, and uh, you'll go more into depth in all of this, I'm sure. Okay, the second character, and by the way, this message today is going to be very technical, and I'm sorry, I don't want to lose you. I'm trying to make it as uh, um, detailed as possible, as interesting as possible, but also I'm trying to give help to those who are going to be studying after they listen to this message and, uh, you know, on, online or those who are going to be preaching in future months so that we kind of all work towards the same end here. All right, the second person that we want to talk about today, or actually two people, are the two witnesses in chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 3, it says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, you can read through some of the points here on this slide, and so I'm just going to go through them quickly. First of all, at this time, and, and by the way, this is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. God will raise up two witnesses in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Why does he raise up two witnesses? Why not just one? Because the scripture tells us over and over again, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And so God raises up two to establish the truth um, of what is being said and that he is uh, behind it. They prophesy for 1,260 days during the last half of the tribulation period. That is the three and a half years. Remember, as we've studied, the, the tribulation is divided into two equal segments, three and a half years tribulation, three and a half years called the Great Tribulation. They serve in the Great Tribulation. At the point of their uh, arrival, we'll call it, at the point of their ministry, what has just happened on earth is that the Antichrist has gone into the temple and set up an image to himself and has demanded that the world worship him as God. Not just the idol, but worship the Antichrist as God. God then sends these two witnesses to Jerusalem, and, and they uh, are speaking out against the Antichrist. The two, um, at the time, if you remember in Matthew, the Lord says, when you see this happen, the abomination of desolation, the setting up of that idol in the temple, flee. Do not go back into your homes. Do not go back into the fields. Just get and go. And they go out, uh, Jews go out to the wilderness, and in uh, the wilderness they are, uh, protected by the Lord. The two witnesses minister in Jerusalem, and they're given power to perform miracles or judgments at will. They can turn water into blood. They cause a drought for three and a half years. They uh, are able to do mighty signs and wonders similar to... Um, Moses, uh, during the uh, Egyptian, uh, you know, coming before Pharaoh, uh, the plagues of, e of Egypt, and similar to uh, Elijah. God grants them permission to kill their enemies, and they do. They are clothed in garments of sackcloth, which indicates that they are mourning over the sin and wickedness that prevails on the earth. At the end of the three and a half years, almost at the very, very end, uh, the Antichrist has them killed. They die. and they, I mean, they're slaughtered. And they, their bodies are left to rot in the streets of Jerusalem. And the people of the earth celebrate as if it were Christmas time. It says that they, they send gifts to one another uh, at this time, celebrating the death of God's uh, two witnesses. And then after three and a half days, God raises them back to life and they ascend to heaven uh, to be with the Lord forever. And so the question is, who are these two witnesses? Some commentators very wisely say they are unknown. 
Others say, oh no, it is Moses and Elijah. And they give all the reasons for it, including a list like this. Okay, I'm not going to go over that list. Some say Enoch and Elijah because both of them uh, did not die. And uh, God just took them. And this is their chance now to come back to earth and die. And others say, no, it's Elijah and John the Baptist. There's a lot of different speculation, but it is all speculation because John never reveals their identity by name in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to bypass this next slide because we don't know. All right? We can guess all day long, but it's speculation since John does not name them in this book. Okay, the third person I want to introduce you to is a woman in labor. She's an interesting character in the book of Revelation, um, and a lot is said about her, and you have to know other scriptures to understand who she is. So let me read uh, just a, a brief, um, well, the, the verses there, Revelation 12, 1 and 2. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. So let's just stop there and let's look at the description that John gives of this woman that he sees. She's clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. You go, well, that's interesting. It's even more interesting when he says, and there's a garland of twelve stars around her. You go, what on earth could this mean? She is with child. She's in labor. And then it says in verse 4, a dragon stood before the woman to devour her child. You go, okay, this is really getting odd, right? She gave birth to a male child, and her child was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. You go, oh, interesting. I know from the Old Testament, and I also know from the New Testament, that there is one coming who will rule the earth, will rule the nations with a rod of iron. His name is Jesus. Thank you. Okay, so there's some clue here as to who this woman is. It's the woman who gave birth to Jesus. And everybody goes, oh, it's Mary. And a lot of commentators say that. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman, listen carefully, fled to the wilderness for 1,260 days. You go, wait a minute. Did Mary flee to the wilderness for 1,260 days? Do, do, can any of you point to a scripture that tells me that Mary fled to the wilderness for 1,260 days? No, it doesn't exist. This can't be Mary. We say, well, wait a minute, wasn't it Mary who gave birth to Jesus? Yes, of course it was. Well, then who is this? All right, so the next slide we have. Who is the woman and who is her child? The woman in labor is the nation of Israel. Was Mary a Jew? Yes. Was she part of the nation of Israel? Yes. Was Jesus born as a Jew? Yes, he was born to the nation of Israel. The sun and the moon and the stars. What on earth is that all about? Can you think back to your studies of the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people and the beginning of the Jewish nation? When did they have 12 children? Jacob. They had 12. And who had a dream of the, of the children of Jacob? It was Joseph who had a dream. And he saw the sun and he saw the moon, and he saw 12 stars, and they all bowed down before him. Do you remember that dream? Okay. This is a reminder of the beginning of Israel and the beginning of the, uh, the nation, and it's, a, it's just nodding the hat towards that dream. Well, you say, what, is, what about the child? Jesus was born to actually, actually born to Mary. Yeah, but remember what the Old Testament Scripture says. We, we've just finished Christmas celebration. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We say, yeah, well, that, he was given to the whole world. And he was 
But specifically, those passages are in Isaiah, which was written to the Jewish nation, to Israel. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And so the child born here is born to the nation of Israel and in the nation of Israel. Then it says that a dragon stood before the woman to devour her child. Who is this dragon? And if we, we're going to look at the dragon in just a minute, but I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's Satan. <laughs> That's the biggest hint I can give you. Okay. And it's, uh, in the passage, it tells us that he used his tail and swept a third of the stars from heaven. Did the stars of heaven fall? No, the stars here represent the angels of heaven. One third of the angelic host was expelled from heaven with Satan. We're going to look at that in, in just a couple of minutes. Satan stood before the woman to devour her child. How did he do that? Do you remember the birth of Christ? Do you remember how the wise men came when Jesus was roughly two years old? And uh, they, wanted, they went to the king, and they basically said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And the leader of the Roman Empire, the Roman uh, in that area, Roman uh, government in that area, says, "Wait a minute! What do you mean a king has been born?" And he said, "Tell, go find him and tell me where he is, so that I may go and worship him." Did he intend to worship him? No. Satan put it in his heart to kill him, and Satan was there to devour the child. Was he successful? No, he wasn't. But that's what this is referring to. Her child was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. What does that mean? Well, that means that he was born king. Jesus was born king. What did the, the, um, the wise men say? Where is he who is born king? Right? They recognized that this one who was born was king, and Jesus was born king, to be king. It says her child was caught up to God. Well, what, the, what that does in this passage, it skips forward past his life, past his death, resurrection, and goes all the way to his ascension. And it's the child was caught up to God, his ascension. And then it says the dragon will persecute the woman for 1260 days, which is exactly what the scriptures tell us when you see the abomination of desolation flee to the wilderness, the scripture says. And the woman, Israel, will flee to the wilderness and be protected by God for three and a half years. Okay? Again, we're gonna, that's just an introduction to this woman, and um, we'll get into more detail once we get to this passage in a few uh, weeks or months. All right, the next character I want to introduce you to, we've already touched on it just a minute ago, a fiery red dragon. Verse three, 12, chapter 12, verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven... And behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Now, I'm going to repeat part of this for you, okay? It's important as we get to the next characters in our study. In fact, several times this phrase will come up. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, the identity I've already given to you is Satan. He is a great, fiery, red dragon. He is identified in this passage as Satan, but Satan is identified as being the one who is working through world empires and specifically the revived Roman Empire that we're going to talk about in a minute. He is described, Satan is described in the exact same terms as the Antichrist and a beast that we're going to look at, okay? Just remember that because this will help you to distinguish characters once we get to them and in your, in your future study. So if Satan is described in the same way as Antichrist, and he's 
described the same way as the revived Roman Empire, which is the beast, it means that he possesses the Antichrist and controls the kingdom of the Antichrist. Okay, we'll touch on that in a minute. Then it says in verse 9 of chapter 12, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. So we know that's who this is. And in case you weren't sure, he's called the devil and Satan who deceives the world. So we know that the great fiery red dragon is specifically spoken of here as the serpent, as the devil, as Satan. It's one and the same. Satan and a third of the angels are cast out of heaven after being defeated in a war in heaven uh, with Gabriel. And Gabriel and the other angels defeat him and expel them from heaven forever. Satan is filled with wrath and comes to the earth at that time to slaughter the Jews. And after the abomination of desolation, Satan will try to kill all Jews and he will be successful in slaughtering two-thirds of the Jewish race. It'll be mass slaughter uh, at that time. Now, uh, you say, well, Satan, wasn't Satan cast out of heaven already? Didn't Isaiah talk about Satan being cast out? Didn't we see something like this already? And the answer is, yeah. And you say, well, how is this any different than no? So Satan was cast out of heaven when he sinned. He puffed himself up to, to want to sit on the throne of God and be like God. And God cast him out of heaven as a dwelling place. But Satan had access. And even to this day, he has access to heaven. And you say, well, where does the scriptures tell us that? The scriptures tell us that because he is the accuser of the brethren. That means we, as we live and we sin, Satan goes, oh, I got one. And he, and he talks to the Lord and he says, look, Don Robertson just sinned. How can you love a person like that? How can you forgive a person like that? How can you let a person like that into heaven? And the Lord Jesus Christ is my advocate and he is your advocate. And he stands before God the Father and he shows him the nail prints in his hands and the nail prints in his feet, the sword piercing in his side and, said, and says, I paid for it by my blood. The accuser of the brethren has no further argument. That ends the argument right there. But it doesn't stop him from going and arguing this case over and over again. We see also, of course, in the Old Testament, that Satan came before the Lord. The Lord said, where have you been? He said, I've been roaming to and fro all over all the earth. And uh, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, well, he's good because uh, you bless him so much. Take away his blessing and he'll curse you. And God allows Satan the opportunity to show that Job is a man of faith and tests him severely. And maybe you are going through a test. Maybe you are going through some severe uh, issue. I'll tell you who it is. It's not from God because God gives good gifts, it says in the scripture. All good gifts come from him. If there's anything evil that is taking place in your life, any hardship, any sickness, any trials and troubles, I'll tell you the source right now. Satan. God may give permission for Satan to do these things in your life, but it's to test your faith. It's to make you stronger in trust in the Lord God who loves you and gave himself for you. And nothing shall separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there is no temptation that is taken over you that such as is common to man. With the testing, God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We will win. If you read the end of the book, we win because the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the victory. Praise his name. All right, so that is the red fiery dragon that we're talking about, but he is going to be, at this point, cast out of heaven permanently. He will no longer have access to heaven, and at this point, he will know that his days are numbered. He has three and a half years left, and he will be cast into the lake of fire 
um, with the false prophet and the, the beast. Okay, next we come to one of the beasts. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we read this. Uh, and by the way, I'm just going to give you some technical uh, note here. In, if you have the New King James or the King James Bible, um, and some of the other Bibles, other versions as well, chapter 13, verse 1 says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea as if John is speaking. It's probably not John speaking here. It's he is the more likely uh, word. And in some Bibles, they actually take that first part of the sentence out altogether and put it as a verse 18. So you're not going to find verse 18 in chapter um, 12 in the New King James or the King James Bible. Instead, it starts with chapter 13, verse 1. I know this is very technical, but I'm just trying to give you some insight as to uh, your study. The person referred to here that says, then I, really, in, in most translations today, it says, then Satan, or then the dragon, it, should, it says, stood on the sand of the sea. And the idea here is that Satan is standing on the earth, and he is dictating what goes on in the kingdoms of the earth. And that's kind of what this is all about. So let's just go beyond that and look at the beast now. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. You go, Wait a minute. I just heard that. The seven heads... Ten horns and uh, ten crowns. I just heard that about Satan. Now it's being said about the beast. Okay, is the beast Satan or is the beast something else? And that's what we have to look at here. So we see here in verse 1 that the beast... Whoops, am I even there? I'm sorry. I'm not keeping up with myself here. So the beast represents the world empire uh, or the kingdom and I say the RRE, I mean by that the revived Roman Empire. It also represents the ruler of the world empire, the Antichrist. So the beast that you see here in chapter 13, verse 1, coming out of the sea, represents two things. It represents the world empire, the revived Roman Empire, and it represents the leader, the Antichrist, of the revived Roman Empire. You say, well, that, is that confusing? Not really. When you think about it, if I said to you today, Joe Biden um, sent missiles to um, the Middle East, what would you understand by that? That Joe Biden literally put them on the back of a truck that went to a plane and, and they flew them over to the Middle East? No, you wouldn't. You would recognize that when I say that, I mean the United States of America. You would, you would recognize that. Uh, if I said Joe Biden did this or Joe Biden did that, he did that as the representative of the United States of America, right? Same thing here. The beast represents the entire world empire, the revived Roman Empire, and so they're combined in such a way you can't separate them because what he does, the revived Roman Empire does. Um, the sea that uh, he comes out of, uh, this, it's an interesting phrase, and it means uh, that, that uh, he comes out of the sea. The sea represents the Gentile nations, and I'm going to prove that in just a minute. And then the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven crowns represent rulers, kingdoms, and uh, kings. All right, so let's talk about this as we go here now. Um, so this is an artist's rendition or a description or a picture of what the beast might look like. And it's described for us in this place. Seven heads, uh, there are ten horns on the main head there. If you look really carefully at this picture, you would find that on the bottom of each of these horns is a crown, 
and you say, okay, that's what the beast looks like. Okay. It's not important what it looks like. It's important what it means. And so we're going to look at, at the meaning of this. The beast represents, and, and we've got to really underline this because it comes up repeatedly in the rest of the book of Revelation. It represents a world empire and, uh, and a world kingdom, we could call it. In Daniel chapter 7, you might remember that Daniel uh, interpreted a dream. And in this dream, there were four beasts that came up out of the sea, it says. And as you go through this dream and the interpretation of the dream, you find that these are world empires that he's talking about coming up out of the sea. They're Gentile world empires. When the scripture talks about um, uh, symbolic sea, it's talking about um, Gentiles. When it talks about the land, it's talking about Israel or the Jewish people. And so just keep those distinctions in your mind. It'll help you as you study. Just as the great beasts came out of the sea in Daniel's prophecy, and they represent four world empires, this beast in Revelation 13, rising up out of the sea, represents a world empire. It is the revived Roman Empire. Okay, second, it also represents the ruler of the empire. And we're going to find out that the ruler of this empire is the Antichrist. The beast, at some times, it speaks of the beast as if it were a kingdom, as if it were an empire. And then at other times, it speaks of the beast as if it's an actual person. And so as you study the verses, make those distinctions. When it says him or he or his, it's talking about the Antichrist. Um, and then when it doesn't, it's, it's likely talking about the empire itself. The Bible tells us in both Daniel and Revelation and 2 Thessalonians that this Antichrist, this world ruler, deceives, he rules, he deceives, he persecutes, he kills, and he demands worldwide worship of himself. At some point, and the Bible doesn't make it clear when exactly this happened, but at an early point in his history, this beast receives a mortal wound. Um, my understanding of it and my belief of what this means is that as a person, not as an empire, but as a person, the Antichrist appears like, uh, in fact, it says in the scripture that, that he was, was um, uh, um, hit by a sword. That's not the way it says it, but he was wounded by a sword. Well, you don't wound a nation by a sword. You wound a person by a sword. And then it indicates that he is raised up as if he's raised up from the dead. And you go, this is almost like Jesus who died and rose again. And if you recognize what is happening behind the scenes, Satan is trying to deceive the world to make people believe that the Antichrist is the Christ, the real Christ, and that he is dead and he rises again. I will tell you this, it's not the real Christ. Jesus is not going to die again. Jesus died once for sin, the scripture says. This is a fraud. This is a fake. But it is Satan's deception to the world to make them believe, oh, the Messiah is finally here. The Antichrist, they're not going to call him that. The, he is the Christ. We must worship him. And so it's Satan's deception. And the Bible is very clear that he really didn't die even though people think he did. He's going to, uh, they're going to be deceived. And this resurrection, again, Satan has no power to raise from the dead. That is God's power, and that is God's power alone. All right, third, and if you want me to confuse you even more, all right, 
The description that I gave of the uh, seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns and blasphemous name is also said of Satan. So it's said three times in diff to different uh, people or to the, to the kingdom. It's said of the beast, the revived Roman Empire. It is said of, of the Antichrist who controls the empire. And it is said of Satan. And so what that tells me is that Satan is behind the whole charade. He is behind it all. He, he is possessing the Antichrist. You talk about demon possession. This is satanic possession by uh, Satan himself of the Antichrist. And Satan, it says in uh, chapter 13, verse 2, that he gives the Antichrist his power, his throne, and his great authority. And so that is what is taking place. Now, I'm going to get really technical here. The seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, Satan's described this way. The beast is described this way. The heads, um, the ten, uh, the seven heads, pardon me, in my opinion, not everybody agrees with me, but in my opinion, the seven heads refer to seven Gentile world leaders. In chapter 13 and 17, they are called heads. In chapter 17, verse 9, they are called mountains. In chapter 17, verse 10, the very next verse, they're called kings. Rulers or heads, mountains, kings. They're all the same. And this is where it gets into a little bit of technical issues and why I say this is what I believe. Not everybody agrees with me. In chapter 17, verse 9, when people see that the beast is on seven hills or seven mountains, they go, oh, well, that's Rome. It's the city of Rome built on seven hills. That's the beast. The Roman Catholic Church is the beast. Okay? A lot of people believe that. Okay? And uh, I, I don't personally, I believe that Roman Catholic Church is going to be part of the religious scene in the Old Testament, I mean, in the uh, tribulation, but I don't believe that's what that verse is talking about. I believe he's talking about seven world rulers, Gentile world rulers. The seven heads uh, are seven rulers of seven world empires under Satan's control. I'm going to give you what I believe are the seven world empires. Egypt, in this order. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Because in John's um, uh, writings, in chapter 17, verse 9, it says, five have fallen. And you go, okay, those are the five empires that in John's day had already fallen. Who was in power in John's day? Rome. Rome was in power. The Roman government, the Roman Empire was in power in John's day. And John says, one is. So five have fallen. One is, meaning that currently, as I write, the Roman government is still in power. And one is not yet come. There's a future one coming. What is the world empire after the fall of the Roman Empire? There is none. Even to this day, there is none. But there is one coming, and it is the revived Roman Empire. The beast from the sea is the final head of the Gentile nations prophesied by Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, and we're going to show some pictures that you may recognize here in a minute, uh, the Gentile nations that rule over Israel in history are described in two ways in Daniel's prophecy. First of all, they are uh, seen as a great image. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and this great image stood in his dream with a head of gold, and uh, part of his body was silver, and part of it was, you know, uh, um, we're going to look at it all. Okay, yeah. So here, here we go. We're going to look at all of these. The four, then the second way that, uh, that the nations are described in Daniel's prophecy is of four beasts. And these four beasts that come out of the sea are four world empires. So let's take a look 
at the first beast. All right, did I turn this off maybe, Luke? Oh, there we go. Are you going to control it? Okay. So this first beast that Daniel saw was a lion with eagle's wings. He also describes this uh, statue or this image with a head of gold. And he tells us plainly who this is. He says to Nebuchadnezzar when he interprets the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are the head of gold. He says that. It is also descri- he is also describing uh, the lion with the eagle's wings. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head, but he represents Babylon. He is the ruler. The second beast that he sees is a bear coming out of the sea with three ribs in its mouth. And then the other description was the chest and um, arms of silver in the uh, statue. The ruler of this kingdom uh, of the Medes and the Persians was Cyrus. The next beast that is seen is a leopard with four wings and four heads. And in the statue, the same description, which is the Greek empire, is of... um, of belly and thighs of bronze. The ruler of the Greek empire was Alexander the Great. The next beast is the same as we showed earlier. This is the Roman Empire. In, um, it's a strong beast with teeth of iron in Daniel's prophecy. Uh, in the other prophecy of the statute, it is um, two legs of iron. And the rulers or the, are called emperors, or sometimes they are called Caesars. So that brings us through Daniel's prophecy of the statue and the four beasts that come out of the sea and the four kingdoms that they represent. Um, and at this point, the, you come to the Roman Empire, which is what John was in when he was writing the book of Revelation. But there's one to come, he says. So after the the fall of the Roman Empire, there still has to be another empire. And it is the revived Roman Empire. It's still attached to the statue. And it says of that statue, or let's talk the beast first, it has uh, ten horns are the revived Roman Empire, but the feet and the toes of the... Let's go to the... There we go. The feet and the toes are... Iron mixed with clay. It's, it's, a, it's ten kings or ten kingdoms that are joined together, but it's not too stable. And uh, it is the, well, we're going to see in Revelation that there are ten rulers at the time of the Antichrist, and they submit themselves to the Antichrist. They give him their power. They give him control over their nations. And th- those ten become one empire. And so that's what these prophecies are talking about. I know a lot of technical detail. We're going to leave it there because when we get to the study of this later uh, in 2024, Lord willing, there's so much more detail that we have to cover that we don't have time for it today. So we're going to look at, I'm going to introduce you to somebody else now, the beast of the earth or the beast of the land. And it says in Revelation 13, 11, and 12, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Isn't that sweet? When you think of a lamb, so tender and cuddly. A lamb is so innocent, so sweet, and spoke like a dragon. Okay? So you see this creature that seems so innocent, so personable. But when he speaks, whoo, he's got the voice of the devil. That, the, the only dragon we've talked about so far is the devil. And so that's what we're talking about here. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast. So the first beast that he's talking about here is the Antichrist. He exercises the same authority as the Antichrist. Um, 
in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So what do we learn about this person? He is a person. He is ultimately called later in Revelation the false prophet. And he is part of what I call the unholy trinity. Just like we have the holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we believe that, Satan tries to imitate God. Satan tries to be like God. Satan wants worship as if he is God. And he sets up this unholy trinity with Satan as the head, the Antichrist as the Lord Jesus, essentially, the second person of the Trinity, and the false prophet like the Holy Spirit. The work that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit does today is He moves us as believers to do what? To worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is this false prophet doing the same thing to the Antichrist. He is moving people to worship the uh, Antichrist. He's a deceiver. And he requires people to worship the Antichrist. And he ultimately is cast into the lake of fire with Satan and the Antichrist. Okay, now, very quickly, chapters 17 and 18 reveal a mystery. And a mystery in the scripture is something that is previously hidden, but is now revealed by God. We would not know these things unless God were to reveal the reveal it to us. And so chapters 2 and 3 we had uh, of Revelation, we had letters to the churches. Then between chapters 3 and 4, we have the rapture. The true church is taken at the rapture. The true church at the beginning of the tribulation does not exist on the earth. There is no believer left on the earth at that moment. But there will be a lot, a lot of religious people left behind. And all false religions and all unbelievers who are religious are left behind. They are still going to want to have religion. They're still going to want to worship something. And there is one person who is behind all of these false religions even today who will bring together the largest ecumenical movement in history, and he will form a one-world religion. His name is Satan, and he deceives the world. And somehow, at this time, he will be able to unite Christianity, not true Christians, but the apostate church, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Spiritism, Judaism, all of the cults and all of the isms that there are in the world that are left behind, and they will all join together in this one world religion under the control of Satan with the intention, Satan's desire, is to be worshipped as God. Not only will this one world religion control the people of the world, it will control its political, social, economic, religious, and commercial aspects. The Bible calls this religious monstrosity a harlot, an apt description of, of uh, this woman uh, is, is what she's ultimately called. She's a spiritual harlot, a false religion controlling the world, and she has vast wealth and controls all commerce on the earth. For the first three and a half years, this religion, this system, will have worldwide control with Satan as the mastermind behind it. Chapter 17 deals with false religious system, chapter 18 with the political and commercial aspects of the world system. Okay, let's look at um, the woman who rides the beast. Chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads. Here we go again. Seven heads and ten horns, arrayed in purple and scarlet. And name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. 
And so, really quickly, uh, the woman is called Mystery Babylon. She, re <coughs> she represents a one-world religious system during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. In chapter 17, the woman called Babylon represents the religion of the world. In chapter 18, Babylon is mentioned again, but represents a city that is the center of all world trafficking and commerce of every sort, including human trafficking and the souls of men. Secondly, she is called the great harlot. The church that remains, and it's a false church, of course, that remains after the rapture is a false church filled with unbelievers, idolaters, and false professors. The church or the religion will be full of adultery and idolatry, both of which are unfaithfulness to the Lord. That's why she's called a harlot. It says she sits on many waters. Remember the waters that came up out of the sea and so on? The waters here represent the authority that she has over peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, the world. She has a worldwide religious control, and she controls and seduces kings and nations and peoples. And it says she's riding a scarlet beast. Is this now another beast? It's not. It's actually the beast that came out of the sea. It's the worldwide revived Roman Empire. And it's the Antichrist with the same description and controlled by Satan. In the first three and a half years of the tribulation, she seems to be in control of the revived Roman Empire and the Antichrist. Why do I say that? She's a woman riding a beast. If you are riding a horse and you're the rider, who controls the beast, the animal? The rider. You have reins. You control. And so this woman, this religious system, is actually controlling the Antichrist and the revived Roman Empire for the first three and a half years. Okay, really quickly, I'm going to introduce you to the next person. That is the Antichrist and his kingdom or his empire. We read in chapter 17 <coughs> that this harlot woman, this religious system, is hated by the ten kings of the Roman, revived Roman Empire. Babylon, the great, in chapter 18, verse 8, is overthrown. The harlot religion is overthrown. And the ten kings of the revived Roman Empire give their authority, give their power, give their kingdoms to the Antichrist so that he can set up himself as the only object on earth to worship. All other religions are cast aside and this woman who rides the beast is cast aside. She's destroyed, actually. And, and, and Satan fills the Antichrist and pushes people to worship him. During this time, the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty with Israel, the seven-year peace treaty, right in the middle of the tribulation period. He himself enters the temple, sets up an idol of himself, and demands worldwide worship of himself. This idol is called the abomination of desolation in Daniel 12. He demands worship as God. He controls commerce worldwide. And anybody who wants to eat or do anything in the world has to have the mark of the beast, that is the mark of the Antichrist, Im Im imprinted somehow on the forehead or on the back of uh, the right hand. Everyone must take the mark of the beast, which is 666. And if you don't, you can't buy or sell or trade or do anything, okay? You basically starve to death. And then at this time, as we've already mentioned, there's intense persecution of the Jews, and two-thirds of all Jewish people are killed in the last half of the tribulation period. There's one more person I want to introduce you to, and with that we'll end, and I want to leave you on a positive note, and that is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says... In chapter 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He 
shall reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I want you to start the new year, end this year, and start the new year with this hope that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that Jesus is coming again. He is coming to judge the world. He is coming to defeat the revived Roman Empire. He is coming to cast the beast, the false prophet, and Satan and all of his demons into the, uh, the bottomless pit and ultimately into the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ will defeat the nations and he will set up his kingdom on the earth and he shall reign forever and ever. He will establish his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years, but that's not the end of his reign. That's just the first part of his reign. He will reign forever and ever. The kingdom, the Bible says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And we as believers today say this, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of the things that you teach us in your word. Lord, these are mind-blowing events that are about to take place, but we know in the end that you are in total control and that you, uh, Lord Jesus, will come again and you will set up your kingdom on this earth and we shall reign with you. We look forward to that time, a time of peace and prosperity, a time of um, uh, just wonderful uh, harmony on the earth, a time when we can uh, worship you freely and Lord, we just look forward to that time. We cry out to you, Lord, in these last days that there might be a great turning uh, to the Savior of those who don't know you. We pray for the salvation of souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.